0: Welcome to the co-design health podcast. My name is Pieter van de Kerkhoven, and today I'm speaking with Brieu van Damme. Brieu founded Bearcraft Consulting after 10 years of policy experience. He was named by Politico as one of Europe's rising healthcare stars and has negotiated Belgium's healthcare budget established a transnational cooperation on medicine assessment and reimbursement that's endorsed by the European Commission, OECD and WHO, and he also established a long term deal with the Belgian Government and pharmaceutical industry. Breu is also an author and he wrote a book that inspired elderly care policymakers. But beyond healthcare, he's also a civic service and legislative agenda worker. He proposed egalitarian parental leave reform and he drafted the Deontological Charter for Governments, endorsed by the Belgian Prime Minister. He also collaborated with the Minister for Digital Agenda and Harvard Global Health Institute on Mobile Health Applications. Brouille is an economist by training from Leuven University and the College of Europe. He co-founded and chaired the Friday group Think Tank sponsored by the King Baudouin Foundation. He was deputy chief of staff for Belgium's Ministry of Public Health and Social Affairs. But he also has an academic background as guest professor at the Ecole Nationale d'Administration of Kinshasa and guest lecturer at the Universities of Ghent and Antwerp. He's been a board member of Belgium's Health Acknowledge Assessment Body and the Health Insurance and Reimbursement Institute. So right now, Briu is also living in Norway, so when, during the conversation we talk about his policy background and how he got to where he is. And really also, uh, we try to compare his experience from Norway and Belgium. Next to that, we also go into detail on a letter to the editor that we wrote. So, as a preparation or as a sort of guidance for the for the podcast, you may want to have a quick read at the have a quick look at this at this editorial. We send it to Belgium News paper called the date and the title is Bedregen welvart, onze for those listeners who speak english it may be useful to look at the letter to the editor that will be published in september in gastro gastroenterologica belgica that's a scientific journal and that's also both articles are co-authored also by professor livin Anamas. so Really, what we're trying, what I'm trying to do with this with this second podcast here, is to really to to look at a different perspective. So, um, what often when we when when you read literature about co-design or when you go to co-design practices in healthcare, often patients and doctors and in industry is represented. But what I wanted to do is get a bigger, get a really good look at and a bigger understanding of the policy side of things. So Brier has worked as a healthcare policymaker and really, really has a lot of experience in this area. So I wanted to understand what's his view on complex topics today in healthcare. So one of the topics we focused on based on the letter to the editor is obesity. Because it's a very complex problem and it's hard to tackle today. And this is one of the problems I I believe that we need to tackle also in co-design. So recognizing that he's just one of the stakeholders, I really dig into his role and try to understand how it is as a policymaker to work in in Belgium, but also in Norway, how how it is to work there and and how do people deal with obesity in both countries. And so we're trying to dig a bit more into his experience and also I'm trying to understand how it is as a policymaker to really co-design because it's very hard, it's very difficult to work together with all these different peoples in Belgium. As you'll see, there are quite some surprising things that Breu says that you may have never heard of when you think about policymakers in practice. So, yeah, that's that's it. And I hope you'll enjoy the interview uh, between me and Breu. I really enjoyed it. He's a really nice person to interview. He's a dear friend of mine. And if you want to get in touch with him, you should definitely get in touch with him at uh, via email. You can go to his website or at www.bearcraft.com, or you can email him at brieu at bearcraft.com. So the conversation has also, on a second level, is also quite interesting to think about because we're not only talking about how to co-design and how to redesign healthcare in a better way. From a policy side of things, but we're also I'm also trying to understand how can you use scientific evidence and how can you use different partners in in the design world. So the the knowledge and and the, and the science of of policy making often is 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 neglected in in healthcare co design settings, and I think that might be really interesting to actually involve. And so, from a research through design perspective, I'm looking at uh, this um, the policy field, and and I'm really thinking and, and brainstorming with Brieu of how can we use the the knowledge and expertise of policymakers in the in the design world, and how can we set up a co-design meeting to tackle hard problems and complex problems like obesity. So now I bring you the interview with Brieu van Damme. So, uh, hi, hi, Um It's hi. It's it's great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. So, uh, Briere, um maybe we can start with uh, you and and your background. So, can you tell us a bit more about uh, how would you call yourself, and and how how did you get there? All right. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a health.
1: Policy maker, I, I, I guess. Although now I'm uh, I'm uh, active as a freelance consultant in healthcare policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an economist by training, and I've done some uh, healthcare economist economics. But I've been, you know out of the technical stuff for uh, a little bit too long to uh, be able to call myself a health economist uh, still um, so hence the title uh, health policymaker. maker uh, and my background other than uh, having studied uh, health economics is um, I was active in academia and Think thanks for a while before I moved to the Belgian federal government in 2011 first as the um, healthcare advisor to the uh, Deputy Prime Minister and then as the um, Deputy Chief of Staff of the Health Minister between 2014 and and 2016. Uh, And then um, my uh, wife, who's Norwegian, uh, moved back to her home country uh, and I followed her after five years of government level and um, started my own little uh, healthcare consulting firm. Uh, here and in in in, in Brussels, uh, and so I uh, I commute quite a bit between the Arctic Polar Circle and um, the capital of the EU, Brussels. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, that's uh, that's fascinating. And and how did you so your background is in economics, but is there a special reason why you went to to healthcare and health policy?
1: Uh, well, um, I think it's a very one of the most interesting subjects, if not the most interesting subject for policy geeks and nerds like myself because uh, it's a highly technological field, obviously, at the very cutting edge of science and and medicine, um, which is fascinating, obviously. Uh, Two, it's uh, a sector where um, interaction with governments is key uh, because uh, especially in, 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 uh, in Europe, most healthcare systems are mainly um you know uh, finance through uh, solidarity uh, contributions um, hence also a third very important aspect which I think is fascinating is the whole ethics um, around uh, healthcare policy which is way more important than uh say uh, putting an iPhone on the new uh, phone on the market or, or whatnot mm-hmm. um, and uh finally it's also a field where uh, you know, economics is obviously very important. I mean, uh, most countries spend about 10% of their GDP on healthcare. Uh, it's about 20% of uh, government expenses in Belgium. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, buttons. As an economist, you can and you can you can uh, play with in order to make um, a process more qualitative for the patient, or um, more efficient for healthcare in, uh, insurance, um, or uh, more uh, motivating for healthcare providers, etc etc uh, i feel like in other typically social security type of fields like um uh unemployment uh, there's only that many parameters you can play with you have age you have uh allocation you have conditions but that's basically the three uh, levers you can play with whereas in healthcare you have tons of stimuli and, um, and, and and buttons you can play with in order to design um, a system that is as close to your ideal as you want it as a policymaker. I think that is a degree of freedom that very little um, um, yeah um, areas in policymaking have the luxury of having.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, a, it is a fascinating field. And um, let's start with your experience in Belgium and, and the work you're doing there. We recently wrote uh, an opinion piece together that the Mm -hmm. current society is threatened by all these new uh, Welfare we call them welfare diseases or new upcoming uh, global epidemics Um, Why why is that an important topic for you and why is it relevant for Belgium? Well
1: First of all because I guess it's a silent uh, killer, right? Um, we um, as a government official uh, a couple of years ago one of the main aspects of my job was finding ways to organize healthcare more efficiently because you know we just came out of the financial crisis and there was a huge budgetary uh, deficit and Everything we could do to find a million here, or a couple of uh, hundreds of millions there, uh, in order to be more efficient and, and, and diminish government spending was a huge, um, a huge uh, mandate that was given to us by uh, by the prime minister and and, and the vice uh, deputy prime minister. Um, and. You know, we spent. I spent five years uh, trying to come up with new designs and new measures in order to diminish those costs. But uh, I felt there was very little that was being done to uh, avoiding all types of um, diseases that are easily preventable uh, with the good. Uh, I mean, not easily, but that are preventable, uh, uh, albeit having the right policies uh, in place and so it's basically uh, trying to uh, mop with the um, with the tap open right Mm -hmm. Um, we are trying to design all these very complex systems to diminish uh, healthcare spending and therefore also politically receiving a lot of pushback from the most important stakeholders uh, healthcare professionals mainly Um, and, and at the same time there's this silent sort of killer and um and 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 cost driver that we do very little about and, and welfare diseases uh, are uh you know one of the most uh, important challenges of our time because they do put that much uh, of a burden on our expenses uh, and obviously also prevent people from having uh, healthy uh, productive lives uh, which uh, as a policymaker is is, is an important objective
0: mm-hmm. and when one of the Arguments we we made and and something that I think drives you is also the the ethical perspective on on this problem and one of the things you 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 mention in 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 the opinion piece and also things that that you have that come across is that you seem to be also concerned with the solidarity and and uh, and the sustainability of the system and. It seems like that you're afraid that at some point we will have no more money in the budget to keep on paying for all these mm-hmm. diseases and that we may diverge from our current ethical framework and that the, the solidarity may not longer be uh, as it's as it is now is that is that something you you believe in is that is that a risk you think that is, is real
1: yeah absolutely um and one of the experience i had at the government level was indeed a debate about uh, lung fibrosis, um, and um, you know the, the 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 health insurance system in Belgium, which is absolutely not uh, hardcore neoliberal-dominated administration. Quite the contrary, um, put forward that the reimbursement of a drug um, was made conditional to one. Uh, to the patient, uh, being able to prove that he or she had stopped smoking uh, for the last uh, six months, um, mm. because uh, supposedly that drug was less effective, still uh, effective enough uh, towards um, people that continued smoking, um, and so the idea to ration healthcare based on one's behavior, um, and especially incentivizing good behavior, which I think is a good uh, a good thing, but penalizing uh, unfavorable behavior, uh, I think, is a, is, is a, is a slippery slope, um, uh, and, and for a way to uh, to uh, to Russian healthcare. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that um, although we may believe, and policymakers and the general public alike may believe that people indeed are responsible of their own health, that is only very partially true. Uh, we know that social determinants, genes. Um, personal traumas have a way bigger influence that, than, than than sheer will on one's uh, on one's uh, health uh, status. So it seems a little bit unfair to uh, penalize people who have gone through. Or who come from uh, an environment uh, where um, uh, taking care of yourself is, is not a big priority and, 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 and punishing them once again uh, because uh, they have adopted what we would qualify as an unhealthy, uh, as an unhealthy um, uh, behavior. Uh, and so what I think would be very, um, would be very uh, dangerous if that if we conditioned our right to health care, to being uh, healthy, um, mm-hmm. and I think those two should be completely separate because we don't know the underlying causes. And again, we would um, start uh, going onto a quite slippery slope uh, if we were to uh, judge people's um, rights to something which is supposed to be universal based on their uh, actual behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is quite. A, we have quite some challenges there. Especially in, in uh, countries where where these discussions arise, uh, like Belgium, and um, but there is also something in your personal background that uh, seems like you you personally care also about this more maybe than others. Well, of course you are in the policy field, so you care for the for the community, let's say. But you are also um, politically involved. Um, and also an organization called the Vreda Group. And is that also is that is that kind of uh, is that also an expression from you that you care about the community? Is that can I is is that something that you do because you you want to make sure that there is um, that there is that, that that the community is taken care of in the right way?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know if my affiliation to a think tank has anything to do with my personal beliefs, um, but. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, ethically I, I have a problem with um, trying to put too much responsibility on people who come from uh, a difficult background and mm-hmm. who would be penalized twice, that's 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 one. And second, as an economist and former health economist, I guess, um, it, I also know that, in, I mean, research also shows that it's way more effective to uh, actually treat uh, those people um, the right way as soon as possible um, before healthcare costs become more important, or before they—this uh, is not the case um, in, in most welfare diseases—but for example, with uh, communicable diseases, um, well, uh, not treating those people uh, op- obviously have a, has a multiplicator effect on, on, on healthy people, and they can infect uh, healthy people as well. So there's also a very rational sort of economic argument for um, for um, for for that, and and, and what we saw. Um, What we saw uh, or what we wrote in that opinion piece based on preliminary research with uh, professor uh, Annemans from uh, university of ghent uh, is that the cost today of uh, some of the welfare diseases um, surpass uh, by far the potential treatment that we could give to them and um, and make sure that people uh, stay productive and go to work and uh, take care of their families and 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 are involved members of society i mean that, that that those benefits uh, by far outweigh uh, the potential uh, treatment or, di- or or screening costs mm-hmm. and um, you know that, that's also a very good argument i feel to convince policymakers that going on the slippery slope of putting too much uh, emphasis on um responsabilizing um citizens um you know is is is, is probably not a good p- policy idea
0: yeah no and and that's a, that's a very strong argument i think and that uh, that I think most governments still are not fully uh, no. really appreciating. But I, if we, if we go back... I think back... you see it as well, if I can just, yes, okay.
1: uh, if I can just <laughs> go on something that is, I think is very important in, in many countries in, in, in today is, is the, the, the debate about uh, uh, drug uh, policy. So in, 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 in many countries today, being a drug addict or a drug user is still seen as a crime. Whereas some countries are moving towards a medical approach saying, okay, being addicted to a substance is a medical condition that we need to treat as such uh, and not uh, put people in jail uh, because we believe that it's their own fault that they suddenly got addicted to heroin. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and I feel like... That sort of reasoning is also applicable uh, or should also be applicable to uh, other unhealthy behaviors such as uh, unhealthy food or or drinking or whatnot. Mm. Um, You you have to look at it from a medical perspective, uh, if only because the costs of not looking at it from a medical perspective in the middle and long run will by far outweigh the costs uh, in the short term of treating those people as they should. Um and and try to prevent uh, further harm uh, to society as a whole from uh, you know from their addiction or, or, or whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. A second thing I want to add to that is that uh, research has also shown that, that being prone to addiction also has a lot to do with uh, our uh, gene pool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are very easily um, can e- very easily get hooked to whatever substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, whatever they're—I'm not a the doctor—but but because their their brain is so conditioned to pleasure that uh, you know it's it's very uh, difficult uh, to, to resist. Um, that insight, I think, is also very important. That we're not equal—we're uh, all—we're not equal at all in front of uh, potentially developing a addiction, and so uh, that is something you know that that, that nature has. Um, you know, th- th- those cards were distributed maybe a little bit unfairly, but therefore policymakers should also take into account that not everybody uh, is as good in resisting temptations as uh, others. And I think that's also a very important policy insight.
0: Yep, yeah. and um, this this is something that uh, maybe a bit more distant from from the from the content of the article, but. Um, the ethical perspective, I feel, also really drives your work uh, in a broader sense. And um, I'm wondering, did it ever uh, cross your mind that this maybe have you may have been influenced also by your past? Because uh, I, I personally know you quite well, and I know that in the past also you've been you've been also to Africa, and I think you've you've you spent some time there. Is that does that have any inf- any impact on? Uh, your your perspective of the world, or or how you see uh, healthcare in general.
1: Well, I would be contradicting myself if I said it didn't, <laughs> <laughs> because I just said that we're very uh, to a big degree influenced by our environment. So obviously, yeah. uh, growing up um, uh, for a long time uh, in, in in different countries in Africa and elsewhere obviously has uh, has had a big influence in the way I, I look at the world. But um, you know, my uh, my. Since we're going personal, my personal political and ideological uh, um, conviction is that one vehiculated by uh, the movement of liberalism Mm -hmm. uh, and free trade and exchanges between people. And if I've learned anything from uh, my time in uh, in Africa, is that uh, there's way too little of that in the world, and especially in Africa, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there is not enough free. There is not enough. Um, free trade there is not a, a, enough um, free crossing of borders uh, there's not enough understanding between people uh and uh, there's not enough spillover and, and knowledge going uh, traveling uh, fast and 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 yeah uh widely enough uh, for uh those countries to i think effectively um yeah, cope with the challenges they're facing, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. nothing to do with healthcare. <laughs> no, that, that's
0: more your, your personal background. But I, I just thought Absolutely. maybe interesting for listeners who don't know you to to maybe have a better picture of where you come from. And um, I'm also wondering um, what you feel then, as since we discussed these challenges uh, for 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 the healthcare system in Belgium, do they exist also in Norway? If you, what's your experience? If you compare these uh, these general uh, topics. Or challenges between between Belgium and Norway. Is there is there any similarity or, or differences that, that are striking?
1: Well, I feel like uh, Norway is maybe a little bit more um, extreme than Belgium is in, 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 in both um, pointing fingers at people, but then also taking care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of a paradox. Uh, uh, for example, the way, uh, you know, I'm... I, let me go back to 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 drugs and addiction because I think maybe that's a little bit more telling uh, an example than 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 welfare diseases. Yeah. Although I think the problem is 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 ninety percent the same. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they have a very very severe, and probably one of the most severe anti-drug laws in in, in Norway. Consumption is still uh, a crime here, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, I studied the way um, Norway. Treats addicted people, and uh, you know, methadol, methanol and and, and other uh, uh, substitutes are, are very um, widely available uh, here, and, and 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 drug addicts, um, you know, if uh, they wanted to, could get access to quite, um, yeah, high level and and high quality care uh, in Norway. So, uh, despite being more uh, condemning uh, a priori there is also, I think, a bigger effort done here in terms of treating those people and giving them access to the care they need. Uh, So that's sort of a a typical Norwegian uh, paradox, I guess. And Mm -hmm. in Belgium, we're more lenient with um, looking at drug addiction and, um, you know, policy is less focused on uh, criminalizing and putting those people uh, away or uh, whatever, Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time, the way we treat drug addicts uh, is, is, is probably... Uh, A little less uh, based on solidarity and access to treatment and trying to resolve the problem uh, also from a medical perspective Uh, So 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 that's maybe one of the paradoxes Mm -hmm. uh, You see here another paradox. I see uh, with compared to Belgium is that uh, Norwegians are obsessed by sports and sports stores Mm -hmm. Um, So 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 that is a very important part of their um, you know of their everyday yeah. life and, and and living in the environment uh here i can easily understand why people are are outdoors all the time at the same time their diet uh is really really bad i mean i mean they're the biggest consumers of pizzas and frozen pizzas in the world more wow. than the americans are um you find hot dogs and hamburgers in every street shop uh you can you can imagine uh, there's a huge consumption of of, of of sugary drinks uh and although uh, for example um ethanol consumption so uh, pure alcohol consumption per year is lower than Belgium's there's a lot more uh people here with uh drinking problems mm-hmm. uh, according to the statistics from the world health organization mm-hmm. uh so so again there's a paradox between having a healthy outdoorsy life and then on the other hand uh, also uh neglecting food and drinking habits completely uh, for some reason
0: mm-hmm. and so we've now sketched a few of the problems in belgium and in norway um maybe it's time to look a bit more at uh attempts uh, for solutions. So uh, my research and, and work is, is is focused on co-design and a lot of the um, problems that we are discussing here are typically problems that we have tackled in the past already. I I don't know the history of obesity policy, but I'm pretty sure it's it's longer than it's older than five years and um, it's a very complex <coughs> field. If we focus, for instance, on on obesity and that's also the topic we, we discuss in the in the opinion piece we talk about uh, liver diseases and and, uh, uh-huh. and and that kind of Diseases, and I'm wondering what your um, what, what your opinion is uh, towards the approach of tackling these these uh, these big problems like obesity. How do you, how does uh, do you see at all a difference already? Uh, is there a policy existing, for instance, in in Belgium currently about uh, to tackle obesity, uh, and is there one in in Norway? And could you compare those two, or or is it too early to do that? Well, I'm I'm I'm
1: I'm going to be honest. I'm, I uh, that debate I haven't followed very closely in Norway, mm-hmm. uh, so I wouldn't be able to make a, a, a comparison between both countries. But I know Belgium is uh, is working on that and has been working on that uh, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. The problem in Belgium is that we have several levels of power. Okay, that is true in other federal states as well, mm-hmm. um, but in uh, in Belgium, uh, prevention is a um, responsibility and competence of the region, such as Flanders, and then um, a curative care is uh, exclusive competence from the federal level and so there's very little uh, there's very little interaction between those two levels uh, also for other historical reasons Um, and also because um, uh, we're confronted with what economists call a typical principal agent uh, problem in that sense that Um, It shouldn't surprise anyone that uh, Belgium is amongst the top five countries in in Europe that invest the least in preventive care. Mm. Uh, And one of the reasons for that, uh, I believe, is that whatever the lower levels of power invest in preventive care, the benefits of such preventive – of prevention policy – uh, will be reaped by a higher level mm-hmm. uh, where they don't need to give uh, political and policy accountability for. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's very little, at least budgetary and financial incentives for Belgian, uh, Belgian, Belgium's regions to invest in preventive, uh, in preventive care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that I think is is a big, uh, a big issue, and that's also why all the national action plans such as uh, you know to tackle um, conditions such as uh, tobacco consumption mm-hmm. or alcohol consumption or drugs or um, eliminating um, hepatitis C for example mm-hmm. well it's very very difficult politically to find an agreement between all these different types of power i mean we have uh, 9 ministers in belgium competent for healthcare alone to find alignment between, you know, a French-speaking socialist and a right-wing Flemish nationalist on the same issue is absolutely not uh, an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's why many national action plans that, um, you know, either are published or watered down to such a degree that there's very little in them to effectively tackle the challenges uh that they're supposed to tackle uh, or uh, in most cases, and this is unfortunately the case in in, in more and more, um, you know, the the case in in more and more of more and more in these action plans is that uh, they don't even see the, 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 the light of day uh, because they're, they're killed before they can even be, uh, be published because there's uh, no political alignment whatsoever. Mm. Um, So I know that um, the Belgian, healthcare administration is working on a plan to tackle obesity in belgium uh, and i've given some input for it uh, but i wonder if it's just going to be a nice report that they will be able to classify vertically or if mm. something is actually going to uh, come out of it and if this is going to be translated in some policy action plan that all levels of power can uh, can agree upon um, and that that i think in belgium is, is one of the uh, yeah, most difficult things to to do. Uh, mm-hmm. If we were to find um, an agreement on such plan, and I think, I mean, there's a couple of very uh, obvious things to do. Uh, one is to make uh, unhealthy calories a lot more expensive, and try to incentivize people of using um, healthy calories more. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, by offering healthy meals at school. Uh, there's been a couple of projects I believe in Amsterdam as well where um, fruit and vegetables were uh, either either given freely or at a very very low cost in some neighborhoods where uh, you know socioeconomically uh, where the socioeconomic status of the general population was a lot lower than than, than average uh, and those uh, pilot projects seems to uh, be uh, seem to be uh, uh, effective there's also a lot we can do uh, still to uh, tackle um um, publicity uh, for unhealthy foods um, on, on TV, uh, especially targeting uh, young children. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things we could do even in supermarkets in order to make you know the candy uh the candy part of the store a little bit less uh, in plain sight of the kids or just before uh mom or dad need to pay the bill um, in the supermarket you know there's like, all types of stuff we can do to nudge people to live um, a more healthy life and, and then also more hardcore policy such as uh, taxing uh, unhealthy beverages Uh, more and uh, diminishing uh, prices or trying to diminish prices on healthy Mm. uh, products uh, uh, more
0: and if you look from a co-design perspective because these are like top down policies from the government but if we would look at like maybe new solutions that that require collaboration between different stakeholders that are maybe non-governmental partners um, could you ever imagine that there is um, A group or meetings where people come together uh, that there are health policymakers who can give uh, their opinion on the policy side that there are maybe owners of sports shops like in Norway that there are owners of of other industry food industry that there are patients and that there are maybe uh, designers who develop uh, new solutions could you imagine that such a such a meeting could could take place in Belgium or do you think that the the vast majority of those s- s- health policymakers would would first have to agree on on what they think is is that is that never going to happen is it too are there too many stakeholders in Belgium to to, to start this kind of co design project?
1: Well, from what I know, I think there are uh, many initiatives like that, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, know that, that 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 were set up in the past and that are still uh, or that are ongoing. Uh, Ongoing now so i don't see why it it, it, it it couldn't work but uh the real challenge there is um well one that could not happen i mean if, if you're talking about something that would be in between preventive and curative care um i think it would be very difficult to have such co-design process with different levels of power involved but if you focus on one level of power mm-hmm. Um, such co-design processes with all the stakeholders uh, as I said do happen and are probably still ongoing Uh, Mm -hmm. so I don't see why that's a problem the the, the problem or the challenge is bringing those conclusions to a level um, you know which is not yours and where the political um, composition may be different or where one of your uh, rivals may be sitting I mean that's I guess that's true in other countries as well Um, but for some reason it seems to be even more difficult in in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, w-
0: yeah. one of the challenges you said is for instance at the at the local level uh, or if you want to if you want to set up just a meeting with all the health policy makers that the the people from the regional level are really not super interested because the the financial benefits they will never see so i'm thinking maybe there are even meetings that you could structure in such a way that that on each level there could be financial benefits so if you maybe there there are already uh these kind of assumptions that that that's over time now have have been set but that that people are maybe not even aware of that that they that 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 those could change in a different meeting with different partners and different uh a different setup
1: absolutely yeah. yeah so um no i i i, um, I agree that um more is probably uh, more is probably possible um and um you know it's a very strange dynamic once you negotiate with um with other people it's not easy to get out of a certain logic, which seems to me making perfect sense in your head, but from an outsider's perspective is either autistic or completely uh, out of touch with reality or, or whatnot. Uh, and, and I guess bureaucracies and, and levels of power function a little bit in the same uh, in the same way. They have you know, an objective, and uh, they're very convinced of uh, them being right of, or their agen- agenda being the right one. And... Uh, Yeah. The longer such process takes, the more you sort of get trapped into that tunnel vision and Mm -hmm. uh, the more difficult it is is to get to get out of it. And so, for example, there is um, a dossier that 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 has been, you know, going on for years now um, and which is completely inefficient. Uh, It's about. um, Vaccination programs in Belgium. So there are mm-hmm. some vaccination programs. Well, vaccination programs are uh, preventive care, and so are therefore an exclusive competence of uh, the regions. Uh, however, uh, some vaccines are still reimbursed by the national healthcare uh, insurance, and um, because they are not a part of the um, preventive programs of the of the of the regions, for example. And uh, long story short, um, we. Sp- Spent a lot of money on federal level to reimburse on individual level uh, vaccines whereas by organizing a tender we could uh, probably uh, drop make the pra- price drop by uh, four or five times uh, but because you, organizing such programs is exclusive competence of the regions the federal government cannot do it so the easy solution would be well why don't you um, ask the regions to organize such preventive programs so that they would become um, you know, more generalizable, yeah. mm-hmm. and therefore also uh, put out tenders to get better prices, and therefore um, uh, we would have more people vaccinated and covered. Uh, we would spend a fourth or of a fifth of what we pay uh, today, and that margin can either be used, um, you know, to improve the budget conditions at federal level, and/or because you can probably do both, invest in new vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, but because The regions feel like uh, they should receive everything, and the federal government is like, you know, we're paying for this right now, and um, there's no way why. I mean, there's no reason why, uh, even if you can do things more efficiently, we would we should give you a part of our budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, That sort of typical bureaucratic logic Mm -hmm. uh, is the reason why. Um, you know uh, that vaccine is still being overpaid and underused uh, and is therefore almost completely um, ineffective mm-hmm. um, so it's very difficult to say um, exactly why things uh, are so difficult to 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 put together in you know when there's different stakeholders and especially different levels of power involved but yeah i th- i think a bureaucratic logic uh, becomes very evident for the people in it at some point, but when you look at it at, like this dossier from an outsider's perspective, you feel like uh, somebody, you know, a, a partial broker, and I guess that's uh, that's your co-design, uh, the co-design person you had in, in mind, uh, could maybe find a solution that is that is, um, you know, fits everybody and is a win-win situation for uh, for all.
0: But what if you if you could have? Uh... After all, you've been in in this in this work that you describe quite a while now. So what what could be um, a good strategy for other policymakers or people who are maybe interested in in bringing these different partners together? Do you have anything that you've learned over the past so far that you would say this is one thing that I really take into account when you when you try to set up a complex uh, project like that?
1: Well, uh, I think it's uh, personal relationships. Uh, that is, I think, you know, before entering government and being in academia and uh, think tanks, you, uh, I looked at the government as a Deus ex machina, where uh, every rational decision—that's uh, super naive of me—I realize now—but uh, where every decision uh, came sort of out of uh, this 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 big uh, governmental machine. Where you you the input would be scientific papers and publications, and the output would be uh, evidence-based policy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, laws and 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 decrees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, the first thing I saw when you uh, you know when you work for government is that uh, all these things are decided in you know during meetings and uh, working groups and task forces and whatnot. And as any Place where you put a group of people together, it's the chemistry of those people that is going to determine, in a big part, the result uh, of that uh, of the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, if you can't stand somebody, although maybe ideologically they are the closest to you, it's very difficult to uh, overcome your natural human feelings and uh, let them score a goal if you feel like that would also serve your agenda. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, for example, when we were negotiating. Um, vastly complex subjects uh, at government level Um, I was probably the furthest with my ideological conviction the furthest away from the the then health minister Uh, yet I feel like I was able to realize more than some of the um, delegates from parties that were a lot closer ideologically to the party of the health minister but because of their personal characteristics shall i say diplomatically uh did not manage to convince uh the others to agree with them because people you know just either didn't believe them or didn't like them enough to give them something uh as a victory uh so i think personal relationships is 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 key uh and and more important even than, than 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 having um a super developed technical background obviously that is very very useful and necessary in order to um, defend your point of view uh, convincingly Uh, but it's even more important I think to listen to uh, other people and to have a very professional and um, yeah professional and correct uh, attitude towards others instead of uh, yeah being an
0: asshole basically <laughs> <laughs> and so, so uh, this French, is this but, uh... is this is very interesting and this is it's maybe the kind of thing that people don't don't really know or don't talk about and so i i assume then if you if you go into a meeting like that you you maybe prepare in a certain way or you maybe you select who will sit on the table is is that is that something you can do? Can you select who is on the table, or can you? Would you invite certain people, or or, or would you just uh, prepare uh, for the partners that are that are sitting at the table?
1: I mean, of course, there's a, You learn this quickly, but there's all sort of techniques to improve your chances in the negotiation. Uh, although I believe they are marginal, uh, but they're you know they're just fun to to try. Uh, I guess um, suggest so who is facing you know daylight and who's not and Mm -hmm. uh how long do you wait before you serve sandwiches and how warm or cold does the temperature of the room need to be i mean all the most people know all these little tricks it's basically the tricks that casinos use to make you spend as much money as possible (laughs) (laughs) um but uh, uh usually at government level you don't have the luxury to uh to choose the partners you're going to be negotiating with um because you are in a given uh, political constellation and you need all the representatives of those political parties to be around the table so it's difficult to cherry pick uh, who you want and who you mm-hmm. don't want uh, um which is why personal relationships are all the more uh, important mm-hmm. even if you don't agree or worse you don't like a person at all uh it will be counterproductive for your work and your agenda if you uh know if you're too uh, explicit about that Mm -hmm. Uh, of course i think people only respect uh, you if you have uh, a point of view which is clear and you can defend with uh, enthusiasm and backed up with facts and figures Mm -hmm. Um, so i'm not saying you should you know um, give in uh, because somebody may disagree with you but uh, when you disagree do so based on facts figures And always be correct uh, and convinced of your point of view Mm and 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 don't try to never make it personal uh, and also know that as soon as the meeting is over the person you were discussing or negotiating with you know can can just as easily become uh, somebody you have sympathy with Uh, and 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 that is something I feel um, uh, still lacks uh, in in a lot of cases Uh, people take a disagreement or um, The fact that you would defend an agenda that is not the other person's uh, as a personal attack, which I mean, at least in my case, it never is, and Mm -hmm. um, you need to try to stay as professional as possible. Uh, And even when the other person, um, you know, uh, is not, um, well, then it's even more important that you keep you keep your calm and uh, and try to convince the other person that this is not a personal attack, but this is really, uh, you know. uh, a conviction that you have and, and a mandate that you, you, you're given and that you're trying to defend the, the best of your capa- capabilities.
0: And of course, the key in the story is is a personal relationship. The question, of course, remains, how do you establish a good personal relationship with those people? Because I imagine it's not, it's not easy always.
1: No, but I think um, being able to... I, a lot of people, um, I feel have a need to be listened to Mm -hmm. you don't always need to do whatever they want or require Mm -hmm. but for most people i mean you 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 you're a philosopher you've you've worked with patients you you've been a patient yourself even if you know that there's not much you can do about something i think it is important that you are that you receive the chance to um yeah to express what you feel and to be or at least to have the feeling that you're being understood, uh, that is the first. That is the first uh, step. I think just listen to whatever people uh, have to say, and, and therefore you can hope that people will listen to whatever you have to say uh, as well. And then it's about uh, the art of the not the art of the deal, as somebody would say, but the art of the compromise, and uh, mm-hmm. making sure that uh, whatever your agenda uh, or mandate is that that is um, realized as much as possible and all the rest that comes around it, uh, you can give in in on. Um, I mean, at least that's how I went to work. Just know before you enter a meeting what it is you want to go out with and adapt your strategy uh, uh, accordingly Mm -hmm. Um, and and, and therefore be willing to compromise on the less important stuff because, again, thinking that you can go for a full-out victory and basically, um, how do you say that in English? Um,
0: a win, you mean, or
1: yeah, a win. But 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 when you get everything and the other person mm-hmm. uh, basically gets nothing because they're ill prepared mm-hmm. or because they're bad negotiators mm-hmm. or because they were impressed by the situation or because you were super vocal and the person in front of you was you know a, a more um, a less extrovert person, I don't know. Mm-hmm as soon as uh you make those people leaving the meeting as being um shameful or uh i'm looking for the word right uh, now but i can't find it um mm-hmm. can i say it in dutch maybe yeah, yeah, you can help yeah. me yeah yeah you can say it in dutch vernederen yeah yeah humiliating humiliate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly humiliate now humiliate. i get it uh, <laughs> so if, if 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 you if you give the impression um or if people have the impression just after the meeting or after a couple of uh after some time that they um they've been humiliated basically because they weren't able to make any of their points and they go home with nothing that is a very short-term way of looking at negotiations and um and uh of, of you know of, of basically uh Putting a, a time bomb under your own victory mm-hmm. uh, because that is either going to come back the next time you have mm-hmm. to face that person, or that person will not honor the deal and come back on whatever you agreed because they uh, will have felt like okay, I've been I've been I've been completely, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, how do you say that? Yeah. Uh, I've been completely yeah. uh, stripped of anything yeah. I wanted, and yeah, it was, it, uh, and I have, I have a hard time coming it. home from that. So yeah. so it's 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 basically I mean there's books, libraries, PhDs written. Non-negotiation tactics, and that was not the, the the subject of the call. But but it's basically it comes down to um, know what you want, know what you don't want, uh, listen to the other people, and try to try to take into account their uh, wishes as much as possible for as long as they don't compromise your agenda, uh, and make sure nobody uh, leaves the room feeling humiliated uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, I think, the best way to uh, to have long-lasting. Yeah um relationships with people and, and
0: that is of course in politics that's sort of a st- uh, the 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 the, sta- the the starting point is this political uh context and sometimes uh in 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 co-creation or co-design they assume that we we start off in a in a situation with no power asymmetry and that everybody's equal you think that could ever happen this kind of co-creation context in a meeting in 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 with one or two political stakeholders you think is that is that realistic that they leave behind their their political uh, let's say needs or or, or the, these these struggles
1: uh, not if there's nothing uh, you know to tie them to or uh, to replace uh, Mm -hmm. to replace it with yeah Uh,
0: so there would need to be substantial preparations before you you basically start to invite these these uh, policymakers to to or you need to have a good strategy uh, to invite them in a way that is productive in in such meetings
1: absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and think about what you can give them if it's a real negotiation with two opposing views uh, think of what uh, you know try to anticipate on what they may want uh, and if that is something that is not acceptable for yourself, then
0: try to find alternatives mm-hmm. that they may be interested in. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, um, okay.
0: Yeah. Great. I'm very conscious of the time, and uh, I think we've already gone over time. <laughs> but uh, it was it was great to talk to you, Bria. Maybe one last bonus question: Is there any advice you would give to other people who want to get s- successful in the field you're working in?
1: Well, I'm not sure if I'm successful in the field I'm working in. Uh, But um, that's a tough one uh, because I should probably follow my own advice then. Um, (laughs) But I think um, like in many things, you know, stay curious, um, have an open mind, uh, always go back to the facts and figures um, and um, accept that there may be other points of view that are equally valid and equally based on data and science, um, you know, it's, it's policy. So nothing is 100% uh, empirically uh, objectiveable uh, or right or wrong. Uh, a lot of it has to do with preferences and convictions as well. And so as long as you take that into account and are open to other people's point of view and, um, you know, uh, uh, try to take that uh, in your own uh, in your own strategy, then I think uh, you can go far.
0: Okay. Thank (laughs) you very much, Brie, for this uh, conversation. Thank you, Peter. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.